Trigger warning, trigger warning, trigger warning. If talk about working on the weekends makes your blood pressure spike, eyes water, teeth grit, you might want to leave. Flip it over to something else. But if you want some ideas about how to boost your career in the coming months, stick around. Welcome to the Sales Management Podcast, your source for actionable sales management strategies and tactics. I'm your host, Corey Bray. No long intros, no long ads. Let's go. Today, we're talking about working on the weekends. The goal isn't to eliminate fun from your life by gluing yourself to your chair 24-7. The goal is not to drive burnout. Burnout's not good. We don't like that. The goal is not to destroy your personal relationships. And I'm certainly, I am the last person on earth who would ever want to eliminate fun from your life. But there might be an opportunity here. When I was growing up, we, I played basketball. And in our our competitive basketball team in high school, we had this saying that said, touch every line. So if you ran a sprint, so you're, you're, imagine a basketball court and there's, there's lines around the court. So you've got, you can go long ways from hoop to hoop, or you can go short ways from sideline to sideline. And we'd run sprints. So if you didn't touch every line, you had to start over and do it again. So if we ran a horse, or some people call them suicides, you touch eight lines. You go from the baseline to the free throw line, back to the baseline, to half court, back to the baseline, to three quarters court, the opposite free throw line, back, and then all the way down and all the way back. And if you missed one line, you'd have to run the whole thing over again. Painful. It's painful to do it. Painful to do it the first time. Doing it the second time was insanity. And this... This goes back to the episode we recently did on Saul Khan and Khan Academy, where we talked about don't coach your team to an acceptable level, coach them in mastery. If you're creating a world where your C students move on to the next grade, then three, four, five grades later, all of a sudden, they don't have the basic skills in order to actually master the topics that they've got in front of them because they have so many holes in their skill set. He talks about it like a block of Swiss cheese. If you've got a block of Swiss cheese with a bunch of air pockets, a bunch of holes, and the holes keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, that's no good if, if that's what your skill set is, the people on your team. So the idea of touch every line is don't let them slack off. Don't yourself slack off if the goal is to truly achieve mastery. And the analogy I used in that episode was the the big Parmesan block at the Brazilian steakhouse that doesn't have any holes in it. The goal here is to, to t- touch every line and avoid that Swiss cheese analogy. And, and no, I'm not saying work nights and weekends. I'm not saying do anything. I'm just trying to start a conversation and throw some ideas out here. Talk about some things that have worked for me that have worked for other top performing sales managers that I've witnessed. And, and the, the idea is that, yeah, you can work nights. That's fine. But the, the reason I'm specifically talking about weekends is that you're fresh and it's it's a day that you can go in. You probably don't have any meetings and it can be some real, real focused time. So let's talk about some specific tactical things that I find super helpful on the weekend. So let's think about this since this is a sales management podcast. This could be through the lens of growing ourselves as managers, or if you're a senior leader that manages managers, growing you, growing people on your team, and then as a frontline manager, 
thinking about the folks that are on your team that work for you, going back a couple episodes, we talked about competencies. So competencies could be those, those major areas of, of, of skill or knowledge that people need to develop, such as discovery or demo or sales process for an account executive. Thinking about that and what can we leverage these long, uninterrupted hours on the weekends to, to just make ourselves better, make the people on our teams better. So here's some, here's some ideas, a few broad categories with some specific tactics within them. So the first, first idea is fill in hard skill gaps. What are those hard skills that peers or bosses or mentors developed already that you might not have, or that the people on your team might not have up to this point. A few that come to mind are spreadsheets, writing, data analysis, tools usage. So let's let's dig into each of these. So for example, spreadsheets. Can you make a spreadsheet dance? Well, with 10 to 20 hours of work, you can go from a beginner to someone who will garner the respect of the finance team. But if all you've ever done is put some things in the cells and maybe used some addition and subtraction formulas, that's that's going to miss the mark. It's not hard to learn pivot tables, VLOOKUPs, things like that. It just takes a little bit of effort. If you're interested, I've got a free course. No upsell here. Just send an email to freestuff at coachcrm.com and we'll send you a spreadsheets for salespeople course courtesy of Coach CRM. The second hard skill is writing. How good are your writing skills? The people on your teams, are they great? Well, as someone who's written eight books, I'll tell you one thing. The best way to get better at writing is writing. I went to public high school in Texas, studied business in college. I'm not a formally trained writer. And the, the experience I had with my first boss, I'd write something. He'd say, that's not any good. Redo it. And we'd go back and forth on that several times. And eventually, a few months later, I finally got the hang of it. And there we go. I can, I can at least write, write something that doesn't get rejected by him. And I think having hard critics in your life, when I send out a book to get published, Somebody the other day was talking about editing and, and, and quality of editing and copyright, things like that. The, the edits, the amount of edits I'll get back, I'll run Grammarly through it, I'll run it, run it over Grammarly, or read it a couple of times. I usually get somewhere between 1,500 and 3,000 notes back from the editor. Now, a lot of these are minor formatting things, but there is a massive difference between perfection when it comes to writing and something that at first glance might look okay. Beyond writing data analysis. So we talked about the spreadsheets, but what about the metrics that are applicable to the industry or to the role? Do you know what your manager or the CFO or other people in the org look at? What those metrics are, how they're calculated and and why they matter? That's something to dig into. And then finally, tools usage. There's lots of tools out there. Well, one of the things about continuing the Excel theme, there's a a common saying that the average Excel user uses about 1% of its capabilities. And I think that extends to other tools as well, CRM, forecasting, all of these types of things. There's so much that you can do if you have the mastery of the tool. So when it comes to these hard skills, four ideas for blocking out some time and just focusing spreadsheets, writing, data analysis, and becoming a master of tools. Now, when it, when it comes to soft skills, the opposite of hard skills might not be an opposite. It's different. There are some ideas around sales management. So coaching, we talked about this. Go back to episode one of the sales management podcast. Go deep into how to coach salespeople. Number two is hiring. We wrote a book called Hiring and Onboarding and Ramping Salespeople a few years ago. And one of the frameworks in there is the HIRE framework. So HIRE is an acronym. Stands for HUNT. So HUNT, who are we going to go target? 
interview? What's that structured interview process look like? Rubric? What's the rubric look like? It ties well into the competency matrix idea. What are we evaluating? And then finally, the, the E is evaluate, compare the rubrics across the candidates, perform the reference checks and move on. If hiring is just something that you've participated in in the past, but you haven't nailed it down to really understand what is each component of that process? Why does it matter? How do we make it better? What are some edge cases, risks that we need to be aware of? And then on the front end, how do we get the best people in the door in the first place, which is really the key? That might be something to, to dig some more to allocate some more time to. Then we've got this idea of running pipeline reviews. Well, there is a easy way to run a pipeline review, which is have people talk about their pipeline. But oftentimes we find that a, a pipeline review full of narrative and fluff doesn't get us anywhere. So how do we take what's in the CRM, get the most out of that and make the pipeline review meetings as effective as possible? Do you have mastery around that? What about converting trials and pilots? Are the trials or pilots that your company runs well-oiled machines where you've got agreement up front as to what's going to happen. You've got a solid communication cadence along the way, milestones, stakeholders committed with a clear decision at the out outcome. That's another idea. So on the soft skills piece, coaching, hiring, running pipeline reviews, converting trials and pilots. And again, since I spent the last five or six years of my life doing consulting, to get to the point where Coach CRM is ready to rock. We've got some more free stuff for you. So I've got online courses on each one of these four topics. If you're interested, shoot me a note at freestuffatcoachcrm.com with whatever course you're interested in. 100% free, no strings attached. All right, let's go into the next piece. This is, this is really important. Learning your business, your business that you're in today. And the, the first one, man, this is a great item to dig into. The market history. If you think about... Think about the internet browsers, for example. Yeah, we use Chrome. Chrome wasn't always around and Chrome wasn't always dominant before Chrome. And I'm running this off memory. We had Mozilla and we had Internet Explorer. And before that, we had Netscape and all of these other things. Safari was in there for a little bit. And then obviously AOL had the native browser, I think, before Netscape or yeah, probably before before Netscape came along. So you've got this history of the market that we can look at. So that, that one's pretty obvious because we've all been using these for a long time. Even if you're younger, you're probably using the internet when you're growing up. And think about your market. Who are the dominant players in the market today? But who were they before? A lot of times, especially if you're selling a software product or a consulting service or any of those types of, of sales, they're unfortunately, there's not that much new out there. A lot of companies are the second or third iteration of the third or fourth generation of something that existed in the past. Yeah, it's new, it's better. It, it leverages underlying capabilities such as faster processing speed or AI or something like that. But at the end of the day, the problems being solved have been solved in the past to some extent, at least. And if somebody that's your buyer has been in their job for a long time, so if you sell to finance leaders or marketing leaders who have been finance or marketing leaders for 20 or 30 years, well, they've seen all of this before. So if you and your team come in as bright-eyed and bushy-tailed salespeople who only understand what your product marketing team have told you, then how do you have an edge? Because this buyer has seen this movie. They've seen the entire movie and you just watched one scene or two scenes and we're told that those are the best scenes. So really understand the market history and, and what that looks like is is critical. The, the second piece here around learning your business is personas. 
What do the buyers do? What's their actual job? When they wake up in the morning, get to the office, what's on their plate? And how's that change based on seasonality? Things like that. Well, a couple of easy places to attack here is one, read some job descriptions for the types of folks that you sell to. Find companies that are hiring these folks and really read through what are they doing all day in their role. And there's lots of videos on YouTube too that dive into who these people are, what they do all day. And you might know this. You might have been this person in a prior life, or maybe some people on your team have, but has everybody on your team? And if you understand this stuff inside and out, that makes it much easier to coach to. A, I was I was in a sales process the last couple of weeks where someone was selling to me and the person, eh, they were fine. They were average salesperson, whatever. I can, I can complain about things all day long, but the the bottom line is that they didn't understand where we're at as a seed stage startup. And it was clear that there were just obvious knowledge gaps, both in terms of the, the persona of the, the individual that they were talking to, as well as just the company. So just really understanding the language that the prospects use and what they're, what they're looking for and what's going to trigger them to want to, to buy from you or buy from you now. That's, that's great. And with personas, you know, obviously the, one of the next things to look at is the competition. So who are they? How do you win against them? Objectively, objectively, very important word. Because a lot of times when a sales team looks at a competitor, they say, oh, we're better than them. We'll whoop them. We beat them on six deals last week. Okay. Well, how many we lose or how many weren't we in? Where specifically do we win? And the idea of where we win isn't necessarily to tell them the prospects how great we are. How do we focus the conversation in places where we're best positioned to win? Because there's some places where we aren't. And if we've got a sales team that knows how to steer the conversation away from our losing zone into our winning zone, where we're uniquely positioned to, to win against the, the competition, then we're in a great spot. And when we, when we think about how to learn about the competition, one of the things that I found a lot of, a lot of success with is listen to the podcasts where competitor executives speak. They'll tell you all kinds of things and they'll tell you about their positioning, their history, what they're trying to accomplish, tell customer stories, might even spill a couple of secrets that they're, they're not on the website. And it just gives you an edge. Again, it's not about going out and telling people how great you are. It's really understanding how to position conversations, what customers to ask, what, what questions to ask and how to, how to drive that deal either towards a disqualification as early as possible or towards a place where you can win. Another place to look, customers. So I, when, when I'm working with sales teams, one question that I love to ask, so I'll ask a man, group of managers, say, all right, raise your hand if you can tell me at least three customer stories. Keep your hand up. You can tell me five stories. At this point, it's, it's shocking how many hands go down. What about 10? What about 20? 25, 30? Give me 40. No. It's, it's shocking how few customer stories even folks at the management level, let, let alone the, the IC role, you don't have to know all the customer stories. We often find that the best sales teams thoroughly understand a customer story for each use case, for each persona, for each market segment. And they're able to leverage those in conversation. It just takes work and it takes, it takes some time and some work. So the two more items here. So we talked about, what have we talked about so far? We talked about market history, personas, competition, customer stories. Next is sales process. Let's 
take it back to, there's a book that I love. It's called Make It Stick by Peter Brown. And in Make It Stick, he talks about this concept of the illusion of mastery, where people think they have mastery, but they don't. You might have experienced this when you, if you walked into a college class and you, you sat down and the first day they talked about some things, you're like, I know that. I've heard all that stuff before. Yeah, I don't need to go to the next couple of classes. Then you show up in week three and you're like, oh, wow. Oh, maybe I missed some things. You've got this illusion of mastery because you've heard similar words before. or You've seen similar processes or something like this. So the question around sales process and illusion of mastery is if, if we gave everybody on your team a blank piece of paper, could they write every stage in your sales process? Name it in order? Probably. But then if we said for each stage, let's write the activities that we're going to undertake. Let's write the exit criteria for each stage, all of them. And the percent probability that we win on average. Would everybody's responses match? Probably not. How, how wildly different would they be? And this is, this is one of my favorite ways to test knowledge. It's, it's kind of like a, I use this concept in the sales enablement playbook of the whiteboard demo, where instead of having people click around on a screen, which is a crutch, have them go on the whiteboard, draw the features, tell the story with a marker. Do they really know the product? Or in this case, do they really know the sales process where they can write down the stages, the activities, the exit criteria, the percent of probability of win? And if they can't, that's fine. It's a good way to assess where they're at and then build them up from there. From there. And then this, the sixth piece around really knowing your business is selling scenarios. So what common scenarios does your team run into and how can you train them and coach them to address these? Now, I'm not talking about objections where someone says you're too expensive or whatever. That's, that's fine. We can master those too. I'm talking about deal level scenarios, things like the champion left or the company was purchased or budgets froze or the incumbent competitor released a new product. In a previous episode, I talked about the the young doctor who got high scores on tests and ended up being a head surgeon when he was 23, 24 years old, and he just hadn't done them any surgeries. So if, if your team doesn't have a lot of experience with deal level scenarios that come up from time to time, preparing them for what they're going to see, what's going to come up, that's going to get them in a better position. So they're not just asking for help and handing the deal over to you where you end up super closing. We did another episode on that, alternatives to super closing. It's one of my biggest pet peeves. Sales manager's job isn't to close deals. Sales manager's job is to get the most out of their teams, hire the right people, put them in the right place, ensure that they're trained up. You don't have to do all the training yourself, but you don't have to do the coaching, coach the heck out of them, and then mentor those folks and, and get them producing in their role today and then in a position to move on and win tomorrow wherever they go. Okay, we've talked about hard skills, soft skills, and learning your business. Last major topic here I want to talk about is expanding out beyond the current scope of the job. And this is, again, if you don't want to do this, that's fine. I don't, I don't really care. I'm just sharing that being able to dedicate long blocks of time on Saturdays, Sundays, and holidays to expand out your skill set is, is a phenomenal opportunity. When I when I first came to Silicon Valley in 2014, I'd worked in finance for a couple of years, operations for a few years, physical operations, moving stuff around, not uh, not computer work per se. I did use computers, but it was uh, industrial distribution and then sales for a long time. And then for the first eight years of my career, I knew nothing about marketing. 
I, th- I think I took a marketing one-on-one class in college. Then at this at this job where I was had a sales, we bought HubSpot, a marketing automation tool at the time. Now they do more things. And I went to, I went to the office on a Saturday and I did all the online courses. They had a pretty good academy. Even back then, I read the book that the founders wrote and I just built a bunch of things. I worried up a bunch of workflows inside of HubSpot. Now, I could have done this and not my job on a Tuesday. That was one option. And then the other option, did I really need to learn marketing? No, I could have made it someone else's problem. We didn't have a marketing person at the time. So I was like, ah, I'll, I'll at least jump in and see what I can get out of this. Because my, my old belief is that if a person in a company understands what everybody else does and they have a grip on, if, if, I'm, if I'm here today, what happens before me? Who does it and why? And if I'm here today, who comes after me? What do they do and why? If I truly know this, take, take that as an exercise. That's a fun exercise I've done with teams before. Have people write that down. Say, what is everything that someone does before me? Write down every detail they can. And then after I'm done, what happens? What's every detail? So if you, if you manage account executives, for example, have them write down everything the SDR does and everything the CSM does. And then if you've got sales engineers, include that as well. And the, the fascinating outcome of this, I'll let you predict some outcomes. What do you think would happen? Do you think people would all write the same thing? Do you think they'd be comprehensive and complete and thorough? Try it. It, it could be uh, it could be eye-opening at at least. I think uh yeah, it's 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 fascinating. And then Nikhil, so Nikhil Karnick's the technical genius behind Coach CRM. And he has a, an electrical engineering degree from a Ivy League school. He's been working in Silicon Valley for 10 years. Funny thing about this guy is he's also pretty good at sales. I've seen a lot of really strong technical folks go out of their way to learn something that would be helpful in their career. And do they go out and close deals? No. Do they have a quota? Absolutely not. Could they jump into a sales meeting as a technical resource and at least understand what's going on so they don't blow it up and do things that derail? Or could they potentially ask good follow-up questions or nudge you to do so? Either on a little handwritten note across the table or a wink of the eye if you're in the room or a nicely timed message on Zoom or something like that. So, I mean, an obvious question here is if, if I know a bunch of engineers with hardcore backend responsibilities that want to learn sales so they, they can become better, just better employees and better, better founders, better citizens of their company. Do you think it's worth it for a sales leader to learn marketing or product management or customer success? and ensure the top people on your team know what they need to know about that. Now, the good news is there are tons of books on every department. If you're working at a technology company, one of the, the best books I've read on, actually there's two on product management are The Platform Revolution and Inspired. These are incredible. And it, it really opens your eyes as to why a lot of the things that we see happen. Why do we build what we build? How does it, why does it work this way? And so it takes you as a salesperson, it takes you out of the point and click demo. Hey, look what it does when you do this thing. Here's a couple of customer stories and here's our vision. And it really helps you understand why, why is this the way that it works? And then compare and contrast that against the current state, the past state. And when we think about the fact that 
most products are not revolutionary and brand new. They're just a new way to do things. They might be the second iteration of the third generation of something that's been around for 30 years, but they might be substantially better. And it might be because there's some fundamental underpinnings here and really understanding things like what does great product management look like? What does great marketing look like? Great customer success that can really just open your eyes and make you, make you more valuable employee. And if you've got aspirations to be in the C-suite someday, COO, CFO, CEO, anything like that, it's important that there's a, a thorough grounded understanding of what everyone does. And you'll pick a lot of this up along the way. I just always, I'm a huge fan of mixing theory with the practical application and to, to make people much stronger by doing so. So again, the topic of the show is working on the weekends. Not all of the stuff needs to be done on the weekends. You could probably get by never doing it on the weekends. I just personally would would nudge you to consider, well, if if we want to sharpen our and our team's hard skills, their soft skills, understanding of our customer and market, as well as expanding out beyond just the narrow lane that we work in all week, is it worth it to block off some time once or twice a month to dive deep there? make ourselves better and invest in our future. Something to think about. Well, thank you so much for stopping by and listening. Subscribe if you haven't already. We're on Spotify and Apple. I'm Corey Bray, co-founder of Coach CRM, and this is the Sales Management Podcast. See you next time.